1: nfr extra episode 59 is all country music from compton california to the streets of nashville all the way up to alberta canada steve how you doing man
2: Doing good, buddy. It's a little hotter up here in Montana than we're used to. So, I don't want to say it's Nevada or Las Vegas hot, but it's it's not cool.
1: We're about a buck ten right now for the past week. And uh, Miss what I know you you left Vegas. Where are you at right now?
3: I am in Northern Idaho, right around the Coeur d'Alene area, and it is about seventy eight degrees. Beautiful, taking a family vacation and enjoying every bit of it.
1: Well, that sounds pretty awesome compared to what we're dealing with here in vegas who are we talking to first Brylin?
3: our first guest is corb Lund, a canadian western and country singer songwriter with six generations of cowboy heritage that ties into his most recently released agricultural tragic album with eight other albums three of which are certified gold
1: he's a cowboy he's a musician i love that he loves his family uh and that all ties into his music
2: yeah dude corb is i mean he's he's a classic you know i mean he's got a sound all of his own and uh, it's appealing to audiences of all ages kind of like we talk about there in the interview i don't want to give too much of it away but uh, he's not just strictly a canadian guy touring in canada i mean he dips down in the u.s pretty heavily um, with a lot of kind of the red dirt country guys and then going over to europe and then uh, you know big time down in australia too core blind, This was a fun conversation for sure. Oh my gosh, yeah, so fun. Going from a Canadian uh, cowboy country singer down to American country music artist. More notably so, probably songwriter is Shane Minor uh, out of Sony's Nashville's most prestigious side of the right hand. Uh, the stories talking about stories again, man. That guy shared some stuff that we <laughs> catch phrases that will not leave your head for a long time
1: almost like a movie script conversation that we have. Let's just starting off as a policeman in Compton, California, and ride bulls.
3: Honestly, could you guys even imagine being a part of Compton, California and the police department? Like, that is just unreal. And then you go into writing number one singles about Beautiful Mess by Diamond Rio, Brand New Girlfriend by Steve Hawley. I mean, those are just a few of the things that he's accomplished, and he just ties it into this one little family life, it seems.
1: Enjoy this episode, but up next... Rylan Bentley's Rodeo News of the
0: Week. This is Rylan's Bull, the Rodeo News of the Week.
4: PRCA Stat of the Week, the amount of prize money paid out to pro rodeo competitors between August 3rd and 9th, paced by Sykeston, Missouri, J.C. Boothell Rodeo, $181,019, and Lawton, Oklahoma, Rangers Rodeo, $178,963. Sykeson's previous barrel racing record of 16.02 seconds was broken by the first racer out on August 8th, Cheyenne Wimberly made a 15.99 second run, which is about how long her record lasted as the next barrel racer, Ryan Padone, registered a 15.91 second run. To win the event. Marty Yates teams up with Caleb Smith Great Horse Pockets to split the win in Lawton, Oklahoma. Tim O'Connell won the rodeo with a 90-point ride on Butler and Sons rodeo's renowned killer B for the first-time matchup.
1: Looking to rope in some news and features you can't find anywhere else? Then look no further than the series of blogs and vlogs at nfrexperience.com. You'll find customized content from experts in all things rodeo and Las Vegas. There's the NFR Insider and Stock Blog with Susan Canode. Hurley's Hotspot and Heart of the NFR with Brian Herbert. The Road to the NFR with Mr. Dale Brisby. NFR Experience with Patrick Everson. And the Junior World Finals with Jack Nallon. There's something for all rodeo fans. Check it out at the newly redesigned nfrexperience.com. This is the NFR. This is Vegas.
2: Hi, this is Tuff Edelman, four-time world champion bull rider, and you're listening to NFR Extra. Man, my
5: well, A rural
1: Alberta hailing from the foothills of the Rocky Mountains with a long family lineage of ranchers and rodeo people. Corb Lund is about as authentic as they come. He has been known to filter a range of cowboy themes, past and present, through his unique lens. Welcome to NFR Extra Corb Lund. How are you doing right now, sir? I'm
6: good. I'm sitting on my butt up here in Canada.
1: How are things been going on for you during this pandemic? And
6: Yeah, I mean... I keep telling people that our job, my job is probably one of the last ones to come back because it's my job to get large groups of people into little sweaty rooms together. So it's going to be a while. We had a new record come out about a month ago called uh, agricultural tragic. And we started a tour in mid-March. We did tech, did some Texas shows and some New Mexico shows and a couple Colorado shows. We're about a week into a three and a half month tour and everything went sideways and we had to look her North and come home. So I haven't, I haven't played a show since then. We're, so it's been it's been interesting. Cause I mean, it's got, I, number one, I wish I could be able promoting my new record cause it's a good one. And number two, it's had a quite a heavy financial effect, but if I compartmentalize those things and put them on a shelf in my brain, it's kind of been all right. Cause I haven't had a summer off for 20 years. Cause you know, summer's like my harvest season. So yeah. rodeos and fairs and stuff. So it's been all right. I've been on, spent a lot of time on the ranch fixing fence and building stuff and playing a lot of guitar and writing new songs. So it, and seeing my family, so in a sense, it's it's okay. But still, wish it was all
1: planned. Where were you when? Because we've actually talked to quite a few people uh, since March, and they all have different stories. Where were you when the <laughs> lockdown happened?
6: Greeley, Colorado, was our last show, and then uh, I went to the I went to the Rocky Mountain Country Music Association Award Party the night before in Greeley, and then we had a show in Greeley, and then everything.
3: That
6: was it. And we were wondering because we were hearing the news, and you know, no one knows quite. Especially in the early days of it, no one knew quite what to think, because you know, you don't know how serious to take it, and so we were just kind of soldiering on. And then eventually, our management called us and said, "Yeah, all the venues are not happening, and everything's shut down." So, so we drove home from from Denver and crossed the border, and been here ever since.
2: Man. Yeah. That's crazy. Cause looking at on your website for the tour dates too, a lot of your shows, Seattle, Portland, you know, I mean, you're kind of, you'd have been in the, the epic center from all that stuff.
6: <laughs> That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Might be kind of nuts playing Portland right now. <laughs> yeah. A lot of crazy stuff happening all at
1: once in there. Corb, let's get to know you real quick. This country music industry, where did it all start for you?
6: <laughs> well, I grew up, my, my family, both sides of my family are both, ranch people and rodeo people and they came up from utah about 120 years ago both the luns on my dad's side and the ivan's on my mom's side and they were ranching down there so um yeah i that's my background um and grew up riding steers and bulldogging in high school and all that stuff and then about high school right around right around 15 or 14 i started listening to rock and roll music and and i never really uh no one in my family plays music i i just um sort of and I always thought, you know, when you're a kid you just think whatever you do is normal. I I thought cowboy stuff was normal everyone did it. <laughs> As it turns out there's a lot of people who find it, ex- you know, pay big money to go to a dude ranch because they find it exotic, but mm. I, you know, it's just it was just normal to me. So I found uh I found the world of music really fascinating and exotic and I was in a rock band for but 9 or 10 years in my 20s. But partway through that, I started writing Western songs and realizing that I could play all those old Muddy Robin songs I grew up with. So yeah, by the time I was in my mid to late 20s, I was kind of tr- transitioning over to, to uh, Western music. But spending a decade in a kind of a weird, crazy rock band was kind of good for my songwriting, because in that world, you're encouraged to be as, you know, find your own sound and be unique and find your own angle on everything. And sometimes in country music, that's the case. But often, often, especially on the radio, you're you're kind of encouraged to be the same as everybody else, kind of financially. So um, I think that if there's any kind of a uniqueness or or quirkiness to my style of Western music, I think it comes from blending in a little bit of um, you know rock and roll abandon, <laughs> especially when it comes to lyrics and stuff like that. Like I my my stories are I write a lot of story songs, and they always have most of them have kind of a twist in them. So that's kind of, and I've been doing it ever since. I I feel it's it's been really cool in terms of uh, the rodeo uh, shows that we play because uh, you know I my mom and dad both both competed and the grandfathers and some of my cousins still do and I I did a little bit of high school rodeo stuff but nothing serious. So it's been kind of neat to co- to to come back around full circle and and be involved in the in rodeo world through
1: music again. Would you like ride or compete and then like hey after the after party Corb's also playing in the band.
6: No, no, I was too early for that. Like when I was when I was in high school, I didn't I wasn't real serious about it, but when I was um in high school, I wasn't really playing music yet. I was too was just barely starting to, so I wasn't I wasn't to the point where I could sit around and play for people at that point. That didn't come till later. It's been kinda cool. I've become pretty good friends with Ned Ledoux, so it's fun nice. swapping stories swapping stories with him 'cause our uh, in fact, you know, I was talking about being at the Rocky Mountain Country Music Awards in March when the tour ended. We were there because we wrote a song together about our dads it's called Dance With Your Spurs On. We won the uh, Songwriter of the Year Award for that deal in, out of Denver, which is pretty cool.
2: That's super cool. But, yeah, That's a- <laughs>
6: but those guys have become really good friends. I never, I obviously never
2: get to meet Chris, but, but yeah, Ned and Will and Cindy, great people. So what kind of, you mentioned Marty Robbins and then, you know, obviously Ned Ledoux and Chris, but what kind of inspiration did you have musically growing up as far as developing you into an artist?
6: Well, a big a big one around here is Ian Tyson. You know, he, only, he his ranch is like a couple hours from us and so he's yeah he's one of the big uh one of well probably the biggest Canadian cowboy singer and one of the biggest cowboy singers period songwriters. Yeah. So Ian's been a big influence and he he was always a hero of mine. But I've got to know him real good over the years we've we've toured together and recorded together and it's been really cool getting to know him. He's getting up there. He's he's eighty six or eighty seven now. He's He's toughing out the plague on his on the ranch, bitching. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, got a boy.
2: Oh no, I I mean, I met, I I had an opportunity to meet him, uh, like ten years ago or so, and it was right after, or or not that long after, he had, I guess, vocal cord surgery or something, and it was kind of a shock to grow up listening. You know, I mean, I'm a big Ian Tyson fan myself, and then you meet him in person after that, and he's, I mean, his songs are still amazing, but it it just a little bit different delivery.
6: Yeah. Well, he's improved a lot since then. Like he, he got to the point where it was, you know, I, I saw the whole process and, you know, he was a great, he's always been a fantastic vocalist. Right. Yeah. And then when he got, when he got injured, his, his vocal words, it was down to like, he, he called it ashes. He said he, he'd open his mouth and nothing but ashes would come out. Jeez. but it was like a one or a two out of 10. And then he got surgery and it got, it got much better back up to almost how it was before. And now yeah. it's it's deteriorated a little just cuz he's getting getting older but but it's um it's much better than it was at the at the point where you probably saw him.
2: Well that's great. He's I mean he's an incredible incredible singer-songwriter artist to go but what kind of inspiration do you have like where do you find the you know kind of your flow for writing music um you know on the road is it at the ranch or
6: Yeah, it comes in, it comes in different places. I, I read a lot about uh our family history and and western stuff and and my ancestors i've got a i'm lucky i have a pretty interesting cast of characters in my in my background to, to write about but yeah, a lot of family stuff and and um in terms of the, the process of it i get ideas all the time like driving or just walking around or anything so you get in the, you get in the habit of writing those down yeah. and then when it's time and those can come on the road or or not or home anytime really and then when i get home and it's time to get to work then i get get out my recorder and my notebook and and start playing with it all and seeing where it all fits together. Kind yeah. of my songs. I know a lot of guys that and girls that write songs in an afternoon. I my process is different. I usually have ten or twelve songs on the go, and they take me some of them months, some of them years to write. If I'll see, uh, instead of a lot of people sit down for a few hours in the afternoon and write a song, I'm more apt to sit down in the afternoon for a few hours and, and chip away at six or eight, just a little bit incrementally, because it takes. I don't know. It takes me a long time sometimes to get the lyrics how I'm happy with them. So occasionally I'll bang one off that's that's real quick, but usually usually it takes a while.
1: It just has a lot more passion to it. I mean if you're not you know, if you're all hardwired to produce it within, hey, I'm gonna give you eight songs today, there's more of a kind of a I don't know, it just to me it loses that art side.
6: Well you can't yeah, you can't force it. I mean, there's times when I mean, you can, but there's times when I know there's the right line out there, and it just hasn't come to me yet. And you just have to wait for it sometimes. Like you, you can sit down and like I've got the workboy, I've got the country boy work ethic and everything. I put in a lot of time. You can you can polish things and and work on them, but you can't force the ideas to come. There's no way to do that because you, no one really knows where ideas come from. They just appear in your brain, right? The best yeah. you can do is the best you can do is prepare the prepare the soil, right? Like you you get yourself in a creative space and start playing guitar and, and working with the words and, and playing with the lines. And sometimes they come to you and sometimes they don't. But if they don't come, to me, there's no point in putting the song out before it's ready. So gotta be patient. I've got stuff I've been, <laughs> I've got songs I've got that are half done. I've been working on for years.
4: You mentioned you just recently released Agricultural Tragic. Tell me a little bit about this album and why it's different for you.
6: Yeah. It starting with the title. The title is just kind of jokingly what I've been calling my my genre for a while because we don't quite fit. We're sort of a cowboy band. We're sort of underground country and sort of Americana and sort of roots. There's all kinds of name, names for non-radio country music, but we don't quite fit in any of them. So I just decided I'd make up my own genre and call it agricultural strategy. We called the record that. I don't know, this is number eight or nine for us, I think. Wow. Record. Yeah. And I... It's been five years since our last I one. I got to a point where I was kind of out of gas. Like I just didn't really have, cause I'm always trying to find new angles and new, I don't want to repeat myself, you know, yeah. with the music or the lyrics or the stories or any of it. So I was kind of lost. I was, I went for a couple of years. I didn't really get much written at, at all. And then, um, I don't know what happened, but me and the guys in the band got a second win a couple of years ago and ended up writing more than we've ever written before and rehearsing more and spending more time on the recording and, and so yeah, most most of our audience that's heard it agrees it's one of
2: the better ones. So that's oh, pretty man. cool. The only thing cra- the only thing crappy about it is we can't get out there and play it. I I tell you, it's funny, man. My uh my son is five years old, and to hear a five year old running around town, you know, singing. I like old men making my whiskey is it's pretty comical. <laughs> so it's getting out there, man. But yeah, it's, it's awesome. Next time you ought to name one, like a super positive money making because that agriculture tragic fell right into 2020, man.
6: <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Eh? Yeah. And I wrote a couple songs on the record with a friend of mine. Her name is Jada Dreyer. She's the one that sings that duet with me. It's called, uh, I think you ought to try whiskey. She didn't write that with me. She wrote, um, she wrote raining horses and she wrote ah. a one called fourth. Horse pour that's not out yet.
2: That that horse pour is not out yet.
6: No, we recorded it. We're going to put it out later. Yeah, we've got. Um, yeah, she's a she. She does. A, she she shows horses. And she does she uh Western pleasure stuff. It's pretty successful at it. And she's also like. um She's kind of a. She's quite a successful Nashville songwriter. She's written a lot of songs for. I think she's written for Luke Bryan and and Reba and a bunch of people. But um she's an old buddy of mine, so. so we uh, we did some stuff together.
1: Do you collaborate with more individuals from Nashville, though you're up in Canada?
6: Not a whole lot. In fact, most of my collaboration collaboration is is with with friends. I've tried there's a song or two on this like I wrote one called Louis Lemore with Dean Dillon, who's who's George one of George Strait's uh, main songwriters, and that was kinda cool. But I don't do a whole lot of that. Mostly mostly I either write on my own or if I do write with a friend, it's more or a person it's more up to be a buddy of mine. It's
2: pretty weird. Do, 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 do any, do any, any of you guys play music or? Yeah, I I play it on my phone, and that's
6: about it. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. But it's it's really kind of for me. It's kind of strange, like the way that they do songwriting in in the, in the you know the mainstream industry in Nashville. Is they you know they book a book a, a room for two p.m. or 10, 10 a.m. and you go in there with coffee and meet somebody you never met before and write a song. I find that really difficult to do. It's really you have to be for me. I have to be really comfortable with the person I'm hanging out with. Because it's kind of, it's it's very naked writing tunes because you're throwing out ideas off the top of your head and you're, yeah. it's, So I, I have better luck with my buddies. You know, I was telling you, I, sometimes it takes me years to write, write a tune. There's, a, there's this one uh, off my, well, five years ago called um, Bible on the Dash. Mm-hmm. I wrote it with uh, a buddy of mine from Texas named Hayes Carl. And that oh, yeah. one took me literally years to write that one because I had a chorus and one verse for probably four or five years and I was stuck on it. And then I was in Austin at Hayes' place and I just showed him and we, break a six pack and finish it off in an hour. So sometimes another fresh set of eyes helps.
1: How many songs on Agricultural Tragic? I mean, how many are those that were, you know, tucked in your back pocket for a couple of years? How many songs are like that on this album?
6: Um, The one you were talking about took a while, Old Men. Yeah. A friend of mine named Derek Rutan helped me finish that one. And then um, one of my favorites took a long time. It's called called, uh, Never Not Had Horses, about my mom. I had that phrase and a little snippet of a melody for a couple of years and i want to make sure that when i got that one right because it's
4: important
1: that music video it looks like you got some super eight footage in there How, like what's the whole concept idea of that thing coming together
6: it's just pictures of mom like the the song the song itself is, comes about because she she grew up on our family place in, in the rockies up here on, on the ranch and, and um i don't know what time, i want to say three or four years ago she had to put down the last couple of aging ponies on the place and we were waiting for the vet and it was a pretty sad day obviously we're waiting for the vet to show up and she just kind of looked at me and said she's never not had horses like from the moment she was born till that moment she had never not had horses so I was and I've I'd been i had been I've been wanting to write a song for mum for a long time and I've written a bunch about my dad and my uncles and grandpas and stuff but I'd never quite found the right angle but when she said that my my songwriter antenna went up and I was like yep that's going so it's yeah it's it's sort of about mum's life and and how she uh she grew up growing up on horseback and then the video is just is nothing but old pictures of mom and and through from when she was a little girl all the way to the present and actually my aunt connie too i have a song i have an old song on one of my old records called the truth comes out about cougars yeah. and grizzlies and it mentions connie on the ranch and that's that's my mom's first cousin and, and so some of the pictures of the uh some of the some of the pictures we didn't have enough to cover the four minutes of just mom so i the pictures in the Never Not Had Horses video and the video on, and the Super 8 footage is mostly mom, but it's a little bit of Connie and her
1: mom too. All family though. Nice how your life is embedded into your your art.
6: Yeah, I feel pretty strongly about that. Like I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm lucky because I've got like I was saying, an interesting cast of characters to work with. But I think I think it's really important whether you're a painter or a singer or whatever you do as an artist. I think it's really important to put yourself and your own. You know your own culture and your own region into the music because that's uh and ian's kind of the guy that taught me that because it's tricky coming from it's a little bit trickier from canada because as a songwriter if you you know put chicago or dallas or you know la into a song it has built-in meaning people know what that means right shorthand yeah. oh he's talking about fort worth i get it. it's cowboy town but it's harder to put calgary in a song or Canadian references because the wider world just doesn't isn't as familiar with, with Canada. So I struggled with that for a while and figured it out, I think. And part of that was to Ian. But I I have a lot of emphasis on the Rockies and the cowboy culture that we have up here 'cause it's it's very similar to everything all the way down to Texas really. And so that's that's a good common point of of uh, a point of common, you know, experience that I have with a lot of American people. In fact, my family's from Utah and Nevada beginning anyway, so but but it's been uh, it's been interesting thinking about that stuff cuz it it feels really close to me and and uh yeah it's i agree with you it's it's cool to be able to put your own family or your own background into, into the songs not all of them are like that but a lot of them are
1: that's some powerful stuff corp let's hit the pause button for a little break and when we come back we'll take a trip with corp to australia for some road stories
5: but she's never not had horses She's rode a whole life through I found a couple ponies round
6: What's an old cowgirl meant to do
0: Each year at Cowboy Christmas, more than a quarter million country western shoppers mingle with NFR contestants, Flint Rasmussen, and the best junior cowboys and cowgirls in the world. There's no place in sports where your rodeo heroes find time to meet and greet their fans 9 to 5 every day. Cowboy Christmas. It's shopping, live music, rodeo, and so much more. Book your reservations and find out more at NFRExperience.com. Cowboy Christmas. It's all here.
5: Hello everyone, this is Benji Bendeley, Wrangler National Finals Rodeo Music Director, and this is NFR Extra. I think you ought to try gin.
6: Well, gin sounds kind of risky, babe.
3: Oh, but whiskey makes me grim.
5: Yeah, but whiskey makes you frisky, babe. How oh,
0: much to my, she grins.
6: I think you ought to try whiskey, babe. Well, I
0: think you ought to try gin.
6: I think you ought to try whiskey, babe. I
0: think you ought to try gin.
1: We are here with Canadian Roots, country singer-songwriter, Corb Lun. For Lund, honoring the past has everything to do with sharing lessons learned and stories heard on his family ranch in Alberta, Canada.
2: Uh, just as far as you're talking about singing about Canada and, you know, Alberta and how does that make you travel, get it to where now all of a sudden you're over in Australia or you're over in Europe, you know, singing to, to, to fans about that stuff. How did that come about?
6: I kinda think that if you're if you're honest about it. I think people pick up on even if they don't understand everything you're singing I think they I think they pick up on the honesty of it. I always use an example of like being a teenager and listen to listen to bruce springsteen and he's he's singing about you know the New Jersey slums, right, which is completely foreign to me, but because he's so authentic about it, I got it, and it made you know there's a universality that comes out of it, same as the Eagles singing about Southern California, which is totally not my lifestyle but so I think that happens if you if you're if you if you're honest and authentic about what you're singing about, and people can tell that it's really you, they'll find a spark of interest in it, even if what you're singing about isn't what their life is like. So yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing that's kind of cool is, and it doesn't really apply in Europe, but in Australia and the states and up here, we have a, a pretty a pretty heft a pretty healthy rural rural audience. A lot of the yeah. Aussies that come to see us are from Queensland. They're in there. So whether whether we're in the states or up here. Or, or down under it, a lot of the audience is, is people who are, you know, rural people or agri- ag people, country people, cowboys. So they have that in common. But then on the other hand, we go to Europe or we go to Toronto or New York, and we have a lot of people, we have a good audience there too, but it's just urban people who who know nothing about what taking a dally means. <laughs> I, I guess they just like the music and find it interesting. So that's cool too.
2: It's the dude ranch I, experience that you were saying about like the I, appeal to it. I think you're right. I think there's an element of that to it. And I'm kind, of,
6: I'm kind of proud of that. I think it's cool to, you know, go to France and play shows and sort of, you know, export our lifestyle a little bit and let them know what it's about.
4: You mentioned touring in Canada, Australia, Europe. Do you have a favorite road story that's come about over time with all this traveling that goes on?
6: Oh, there's a bunch. <laughs> One time we were playing in Australia, in Queensland, actually. And, uh, we're opening up for, um, was it, it was, he's a big country guy. Um, it'll come to me, but anyway, we we're, were opening up in a place called Rockhampton, which is a pretty cowboy town, little town in Queensland. And I got Gary Allen. That's who it was. And his road manager banged on my, on my uh, hotel room door about 5. AM. <laughs> I opened the door and he was not happy. He's like, you better go eat your band member out of jail. <laughs> <Gosh. laughs> what? Well, one of our one of our band members, I, I'll leave it anonymous, but one of our band members got thrown in in the in prison, and well, not prison, but thrown in the clink overnight, probably the drunk tank, in in Rockhampton, Rockhampton, Queensland. And the the Australian cops are super easygoing. I, I think they probably just put him in there for his own good if he was wandering around or something. But <laughs> we get there, and the Aussie the Aussie cops are telling us to to play along with them because apparently they've been telling him all night that they bought him a ticket back to Toronto and he's flying out of the next flight first thing in the morning. (laughs) So we picked him up from the, we picked him up from the, from the drunk tank and, and we kept, we kept the roost going for about an hour and a half. He thought he was getting on a plane. (laughs) Uh, Gosh
2: darn it. That's going to be chapter seven of the book. Yeah. That's a, that's a good friend to lead you that far down a rabbit hole before (laughs) you got to be, you got to be messed up up to get thrown in i mean for the aussies to, to tank you in there so them alberta boys must know how to do it right <laughs> yeah
7: it's
6: pretty
1: good night is there ever a moment an embarrassing moment something you've done on stage or something that's happened you can remember that just you can pull out of that back pocket of your your stories that
6: um well okay here's and it's just a coincidence this, this also happened in australia but i was uh working on the van because i don't know what was wrong with i was messing with it i had oil all over me and old like crappy clothes and i don't know whose idea this was but this resort we were playing at it was like a casino and a hotel and a venue all combined but it was right on this on the on the state line or something where the time zone changed and god only knows who came up with this idea but the But the one half where I was staying was like, it was, you know, five minute walk across the complex, but it was a different time zone than the venue. So I was an hour behind and somebody breathlessly came to fetch me out of my room. After I'd just been working on the van, I had oily clothes and just dirt and it was disgusting. And and I had to play this. There was no time because I was already 10 minutes late because I thought I had another 50 minutes to get there. So they grabbed me and threw me on stage. I had to play the show in, uh, Basically, oily coveralls or whatever. Like super, kind of authentic,
2: super, super authentic though, man. That's fine. People, <laughs> like, they they dress up like that. they have to buy those clothes now. <laughs>
6: I guess, yeah, yeah. It seems it seems like a pattern is developing. All the crazy stuff happens in
2: Australia, huh? Uh, yeah, kind of. I guess seeing that there,
4: we talked about Australia a lot. I'm gonna kind of switch gears and jump into Las Vegas and the NFR experience. Could you tell us Good. a little bit about what you've experienced in Las Vegas over the last few years during NFR?
6: Yeah, I, I've absolutely loved it. It's become it's become the favorite part of my year because I've always wanted to go down just as a as a fan. But but uh, uh, the way it worked out in 2016, someone hired me to come down and play. It was actually the guys. It's actually the Huey guys and the uh, the Bullfighters Only guys. I, well, yeah. I I know I knew Aaron from Alberta who helped start that deal the bullfighter deal. And, um, yeah, yeah. they called me up and we played a, actually shoot. That's not true. That, that happened the year after the, fir- the first year I was there in 16, I played the gold buckle room actually, when it used to be way at the back of the MGM. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first year that, that was, that was a blast. I think it was, I think it was actually, um, I think it was tough Cooper's mom that hired me for that one. Cause she, I think she does the entertainment for MGM or something.
4: Yes. But,
6: um, that was a great show. It was the first time we'd ever played, and I I didn't know what to expect because it was a free show in a big old room. And I, you know, sometimes you play those shows and you're kind of background noise and just sort of get ignored. I was happy to be in Vegas at the rodeo anyway. I didn't care, but we got there and it was crazy. Like we had hundreds of people that knew our stuff and they made signs and the whole bit. So it was a blast. And then the year after that, we played with the Turnpike Troubadours, I think, nice. at the Brooklyn Bowl to, with the HUI people. And then uh, last year we did another Huey show. We did a we did a show at the Tropicana in in the in the venue where they have the bullfights in the outdoor tent on the Saturday night, the, the last Saturday about ten p. ten p.m. So it was fun. But all the all the shows we played the last four years there, we played we played a venue one venue or another the last four years in Vegas for, for the rodeo, and it was it's been a blast every time.
7: Being a rodeo
1: guy, though, did you get to go to Thomas Mack Center and check out the actual NFR?
6: Yeah, yeah. We usually get, I usually get to a couple perks every year. And it's it's kind of a deal where I've never bought a ticket. I'm just fortunate because I know a ton of people, and there's always just tickets floating around. So my cousin works for Wrangler, and hey, who you guys have tickets sometimes, or
2: yeah, they'll sneak you will sneak you into a suite for a night or two.
6: Yeah, yeah. You know, I was amazed. I've I've never I didn't know cowboys were capable of that kind of efficiency. <laughs> mm. Just the way they run that show is is amazing. Like I I couldn't believe it looks like a highlight reel. It's uh it's very impressive how how tight there on that ship,
2: speaking of running tight ships when you're in Vegas playing do you keep it pretty serious, or do you kind of have like a miniature Australian version? Of
6: no, I usually have some fun i I usually try I usually go down for the whole ten days and we only we usually play at one or two nights, but so the rest of the time, I'm moving around. It's fun that's, and awesome. that's a, that town is hard on a guy for for a week or more because, as you people all know, it's especially during nFr because number one, you know, There's no one to tell you to go to bed. There's no adults to tell you to go to bed. And number two, for that week, there's just so many friends and people you only see then, right? So there's just five different things to do every night, and it's so much fun. But after about three or four days of it, you're like, holy crap, kicking my butt. Yeah,
2: Yeah, when your nights and your days all blend together.
6: (laughs) It's really something, you know. I'm sure you guys have experienced it. After about three days, you have to
1: take your time out. It's about right for our survey for people to say what they come down for is that three days. Cause man,
6: you know what the hell of it is is, you know, if you've been there the first weekend and partying through Monday, Tuesday, and then you just got to have a rest Wednesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and then a whole new batch of your buddies comes down on the Thursday and they're raring to go. And you're like, you don't understand. I need to rest. And they're like, you're yeah, resting, I'm in Vegas.
2: You're going to party. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> you will rest when you go home. <laughs>
6: Yeah. But no, that's what I'm, it's one of the highlights of my year. I, I love playing it. You know, you know what I want to do is I haven't quite figured out how or who to partner with or, or where to do it. But I want to do a, <clears throat> like all the shows I've done down there so far. I've been with the band, like full sort of rock and band shows, which are fun. But I also do a lot of acoustic shows where I play solo and tell more stories and play a lot of my Western sort of story songs and talk about the background of them. And I want to try and find a theater to put to do that show. I, that'd be kind of cool
2: we actually
1: could help we yeah there's uh, many avenues Uh, i mean i talk about cowboy christmas we got a rodeo live stage with uh uh, we have a we have a stage that we do for nfr central that's got acoustic also casino partners that yeah oh my god corb that's um, we
6: should we should talk about that i've done i've done a lot of that with ian actually where we sort of play duo shows and sort of when you're playing it's a different thing when you play with the band it's a lot of fun in one way but people want to rock out and dance stuff. But when you play a solo show in a theater or something where they can hear the words, especially with my style of music, it's kind of fun cuz you can people seem to like it when you get take a few minutes and explain what the song's about and how you wrote it and why you wrote it and who it's about and that kind of thing. Especially when you sort of themes I w- I would do it sort of theme at real western and do do all my sort of songs in that sort of vein. But yeah, anyway, one of these days
2: you had a couple of clips, kind of like that, on your social media, um, and it, I think it was the pre-Rona uh, when you were sitting around a campfire and uh, singing some of those. Have you done any live, like live uh, concert, like uh, fan interactive deals, like we see a lot of these artists doing? Have you done something like that yet, or no?
6: Yeah, I've done a bunch of those actually. And the the thing you're referring to, yeah, that's the first the first part of the question where we're all sitting around in the winter there around the campfire that's that's at our family ranch up here in the rockies and i often debut my songs for for family just when i'm working on new stuff at the family reunion every summer i usually end up picking on the fire and try out my new tunes so we try to we just sort of try to recreate that so that's all friends and family around the fire but then uh, and yeah that was pre pre-corona plague <laughs> but but since then um yeah i've probably done six or eight live stream shows where people can make requests or ask questions or that kind of thing. And that's kind of fun, but it's, it's not quite the same as playing live for real. No, Playing live is really, really great part. One of the best parts of my life. It's, it's a real special thing. It's almost like a, it's almost like a religious thing for people, not religious, but like spiritual kind of thing when you have a really good, not every show, but when you have a really good show and it's a real cool group experience and just good vibes and good energy. it's, It's, Unlike anything else.
1: So, before we jump off here with the core, but let's just kind of end it with this. You know, we have no crystal ball with what's happening here. What's your next few months look like? I mean, some things you're working on besides just your album promoting, as Steve talked about.
6: Yeah, what I'm doing right now is like we, we technically have our Canadian release tour in November. Whether or not that holds, no one knows. But I've been doing a lot of, uh, I'm sort of taking some time to really dig into my guitar playing and, and uh, improve that. And I've been writing a lot of tunes. It's kind of funny because I have a brand new record, but I'm writing more songs. But I mean, I usually have to fight for creative time because I'm always on the road. So, you know, here it is on Silver Platter. So I'm just ignoring the career part of it and just writing a lot. And I'm actually catching up on, I've I've been touring pretty heavy for years and years. So I've been really catching up on my long-term to-do list, fixing stuff around the house and building stuff at the ranch and a lot of amateur carpentry and fence fixing and stuff like that. So keeping it real that
1: way. <laughs> it's awesome. The more we get to learn with artists, you know, it allows us to go dive in a little bit deeper and learn a little bit more and definitely learn a lot about you Corbin. You're a good dude, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah.
6: That was, yeah. It was a lot of fun. And like I said, it's, it's real, real fun deal playing, playing down there every year. So I hope it goes this year and hope to, hope to be on their playing. And why, don't, why doesn't, not somebody drop me a line afterwards and we'll, and uh, we'll keep in touch about trying to put together an acoustic show or something.
2: Sounds good. Corb, where can we get uh, Agriculture Tragic at?
6: Uh, yeah, Agriculture Tragic new record just came out. It's everywhere, it's on iTunes, Spotify, and it's every- YouTube, everywhere. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on I'm, on my, I'm everywhere.
2: <laughs> I That's think awesome, you can right? get
6: it. You you can get vinyl too. You can order mail order vinyl from our website, which is Corblon.com. But it's uh, it's available for streaming on all the major platforms.
1: Thank you for coming on, man. This is uh, fantastic and nothing but uh great success for you. And seems like you're blessed
2: with what you got going on.
6: Yeah. Thanks for the time, you guys. Good to talk to you. I'll, let's have a beer when the smoke clears.
2: Agreed. Yeah. Awesome, man. <laughs> Appreciate you, Corb. Thank you.
6: You bet. See you guys. Thanks.
5: We're here in Las Vegas at the Ackerman Autism Center. And right now, we've got the Grant a Gift Autism Foundation is gonna bring out 14 families with some, some younger kids, and we're gonna put them on a horse. We've got Tim O'Connell and Caleb Schmidt, and they get to meet some NFR contestants and interact with a horse. It's an awesome event, and to tell you the truth, it's my favorite part about rodeo. There's a lot of committees, a lot of rodeos out there where they'll have a day where they bring the contestants out and interact with kids like this, Where They get to just experience what we experience for just a moment. And it's priceless getting to see the joy on their faces like what we're about to see right now.
6: You know, truthfully, I get more out of this day than they do. This is uh, an opportunity to give back to the, the community of Las Vegas, but really to give back to kids in general. You know, I, I remember when I was a little kid and I would take part in these things and I'd get my heroes to come and they'd get to do that. And I don't know if it meant as much to them as it does me, but it, it sure gives me a lot of pleasure to give back to these kids. And this is honestly my favorite part of the week is giving back. I have two, two occasions where I get to give back to kids and they're my two favorites. This is my third year doing this and I'll do it as many times as they have to do it.
5: The rest of our lives, the rest of our lives, the rest of our lives. Absolutely one of the most important things that we do in rodeo. Um, it's an opportunity to give back to kids and um, they do a wonderful job here at the Ackerman Autism Center and the Grant Gift Autism Foundation. Um, they're putting in the hard work. Uh, the parents are putting in the hard work, and this is—is is, I mean, this is simple for us to do. Just we're donating time and animals, and it, it's worth every second getting to see just the look in these kids' faces. You know, giving giving back to them. But definitely the most important thing rodeo does as a sport.
4: All right. Well, any advice to any of the contestants in the field? I know you set out this year to give the other bull riders a shot, right? You didn't want to go win the whole prize money and go buckle yourself. So what are you telling them?
5: You know, I'm telling them, hey, um, you know, do your best. If you really want to win, go back in time and be born Dale Brisby. There you have it. Dale Brisby. Dale, yeah. Pow about.
4: Do you need a dose of social, a dash of insider info? Then the National Finals Rodeo Social Network is set up just for you. Get updates, insight, unique content, and much more on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. You can find us at Las Vegas NFR. And be sure to use hashtag WranglerNFR on your posts and tweets. There's something for all rodeo fans. This is the NFR. This is Vegas.
0: Hi, I'm Louie Messina and you listen to NFR Extra.
1: If you're a country music fan, You've heard Shane Minor, even if you didn't know it was him. He's written songs for artists ranging from Kenny Chesney's Live a Little to Diamond Rio's Beautiful Mess. He joins us today on NFR Extra. Country music songwriter Shane Minor.
2: welcome to NFR Extra.
7: Well, thanks for having me. This is great. It's good to be here.
2: Hey Shane We, uh, before we started recording, we were kind of talking a little bit about some some times and some places. Uh, but how did you get involved in the music business?
7: Let's see the music business I grew up you, you mean like in music itself or just the business
2: of it where I'm at now? Well, either one, give us just a little background of how you know of how it led to where you're at now I grew up just loving music. My mom played the piano,
7: I grew up in church, obviously um singing as a you a know, little guy four years old and about 12 years old growing up on country music guys like Haggard and stuff like that that I listened to I could pick out the writers you know those songs and I started writing songs when I was 12 just goofing around you know you know obviously getting teased like what are you doing just you, stupid songs you're writing my old man would do that goof around with me like that and friends I just write my own songs and looking back they were kind of you know it's funny because I, I still have some of them that I find laying around when I was 12 and and I just kind of going, in, you know, in my room like any other kid that's listening to records. I'd be in there and I'd listen to records and songs, and I'd write songs, and you know, and eventually, one day it just it it put me on the path that I'm on. I ended up going to to L.A. in the music business. I'm from Northern California. Ended up going to L.A. and staying there for a while. And the right guy heard me. I was singing the honky tonks, and the right guy heard me one day and pulled me straight to Nashville. So I wasn't one of those guys who just moved to Nashville to go try to make it, but. Once I got there it was paying the dues all over again. You know, yeah. so it was just, it was just a fire I couldn't put out. Something that kept tugging at me. Artist artist and
2: songwriting. I loved it. Still do. Do you do you look at you said you have some of those uh, old songs that you were writing as a kid. Do you ever look at those and be like, Man, I kinda I maybe the twelve year old Shane Minor might have had something going on here? Or do you look at it and <laughs> kind of be like, Man, thank God he didn't make it big then.
7: Oh gosh, yeah, that's all garbage. Yeah, I look back at it now and just go, "What in the, what was I thinking? No wonder, no wonder they were teasing me, right?"
2: Yeah.
7: So, but you know, it's like you remember that you guys read that book about ten thousand hours. You know, where a kid puts in ten thousand hours, and that's the guy. You know that you see these people who are real successful. You know, and they you, you go back and you trace them back in their childhood, and they're like, "Man, I did this as a kid growing up." You know, the baseball. i swung the, swung the bat against my dad's old tobacco barn that ball or I pitch that ball or whatever. There's something to that because as a kid, that's what I was doing. And, you know, so
2: I there's something to that. Yeah. See, yeah. You, you grew up in Northern California and that, I believe, Oakdale, right? Cowboy I was born in Modesto. Oh, oh okay.
7: yeah. Oh, yeah. Cal- yeah, right in the shadows of that. I love it. Cowboy Capital.
2: So and, did you um, – go ahead.
7: Yeah. No, I was saying, yeah, that's exactly where I grew up glad i did it was you know it was, what a what a great place to grow up
2: so did you ever get into like cowboying or rodeoing or anything in there or were you just kind of doing your own thing and and writing songs and picking guitars
7: you know i was i started out in junior rodeo um my dad rodeoed back in the day and i started out, i think my first junior rodeo i was i don't know eight years old eight or nine i can't okay. remember. And it was this little arena in series, California called central arena. And they put on a junior rodeo and that was my first rodeo steer riding. And, um, and from there it just, you know, lit a fire. And so I was at any junior rodeo I could go to all the way into high school rodeo. And of course our, you know, I had two home district five. We had two hometowns, you know, two home arenas in Oakdale being the main one and Stanislaus County fair Turlock. That was our home arenas, you know? So, um grew up riding high school rodeo there and just uh, you know make, making friends that i still talk to today you know and it just it was in my blood from just like the songwriting was i loved rodeo but there was a place in my life where the road there was a fork in the road and and uh, i'm thankful for both of them i'm thankful for my rodeo years growing up it really formed me and who i am
2: nice yeah a, the old district five yeah. the the big dogs down there in oakdale california <laughs> what uh and and that was there was there like a uh you said that fork in the road was that just man i'm gonna be a bull rider or i'm gonna be a songwriter or what was that fork
7: you know what yeah yeah and you know what and it was you know i kept you know when i was going through the permit phase of prca you know i was i was up there you know i was riding with guys like you know brett LaFew and brian clancy and all the guys and gary germain and gary Lef- i was standing up at gary lefew's house a bunch and you know, we went way back, and and uh, both came from you know rodeo families. And me and Brett, you know, and and um, you know, and I, I was being I was, it was a tug of war in the heart because, to be honest with you, I was really good at one thing, and I was okay good at another. And the okay good was bull riding. I was good enough, but never had that trigger that a world champion has. And I'm a, I'm you'll learn this about now. I'm a realistic guy. I'll, I'll I'm you know, being around Ty Murray and those guys and, and guys like, you know, <clears throat> you know, there were heroes of mine and friends of mine. I just had a different, they had a different gear and they had a different talent. And I didn't have that gear and I'll, I'm cowboy enough and man enough to tell you that. And I respect those guys. So my, my road led me right into songwriting and it just, it was almost like a God thing because I was at that fork in the road. I'm like, what do I do? I know I don't have that gear. I've won some but I've lost more than I won. Truth. And all of a sudden the door opened up for Nashville. It came to me and you know the rest is history.
1: Where did you start to figure out that you, you could you were filming this writing part of it? Like what what do you attribute that to? Where where like you and you, know, you knew that the, the writers of the songs, where where can you attribute to where your paths started going with writing rather than rodeo?
7: <clears throat> I just had I just there was things I you know I had to say, I wanted to say. I wanted to tell the story from my point of view, you know, some of those, um, musician poets, you know, that I grew up listening to. I wanted to be that. I wanted to tell my side of it. You know, I wanted to move, you know, you it's hard to move the world. You got to kind of do it a mountain at a time. And, and that's kind of the way I looked at it. You know, I was like, well, you know, I'm gonna go out there and show people my heart through words and through artistry, having a record deal, I ended up getting a record deal and, Really wasn't the thing I wanted to do, and I loved I love people and I love performing. I've been all over the world doing it. I've I've had a very blessed life, and fortunate. If I if I left the world today, I I've lived it. I honestly can say that. And writing has been one of the top top things that I've loved, and it's been a release for me. That's where you know rodeoing was fun too, because I had my buddies and the camaraderie. You know we've all been out there, and so I loved being on the road. But being on being a songwriter too. Sent me all over the world on the road too. It sent me down in, tr- in trenches, before, um Bosnia, Kosovo conflict. I was in foxholes with guys while the war was going on on a U.S.O. trip, covered in flak vests, singing songs to them that I'd written. And so I never—it's—it—it it, it was just a, you know, it's fun. It's I guess I hope I'm saying that right. The fact that I got to express myself and say it in the way I wanted to say it it affected other people's so are like, man, I know that song. And when I heard that song, I was here and I'm like, you yeah, know, it makes you feel good as a songwriter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my you know, th- I think that was the payoff for me. Am my, I my staying on point with you? Cause it's, it's, it's a hard thing to, it's, it's like electricity explaining it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Experiences shape the heck out of an artist that found uh, art imitates life, light imitate life imitates art. Where right. do you know that you feel like, you're writing a good song clearly you've been doing this a while now where where does it i just you feel it is it the story is it the lyrics is it the, I mean, what is it like when you know you're writing a good song
7: it's hard it's it's hard as a writer and a guy that's had hits or for any could cannot be jaded it's hard for me to explain but like i'm in my truck got the windows down i'm heading outside towards out in the desert towards needles and i hear this song come on the radio and it's like oh man that just hit me i, I can relate to that if you can, if you can reach that in a writing session when you're writing a song and you're not jaded, going well, you know, so and so is not going to cut this. They're not going to do that because the way the music goes, there's too many people. They're not going to play this on the radio. No, forget that. If it's moving you and it moves you still and you're not jaded, it's going to resonate and move other people. And I try the best I can to not be jaded when I write a song. I try to be that guy with the window down in the truck outside the needles hearing that song for the first time and what I want to hear, and what I think little Sally in Kansas City might want to hear, or little Jimmy in Denver might want to hear. Does, will, they, will they resonate with this? Will their thoughts be like mine?
2: You know what I mean? Does that explain it a little bit? Yeah. How do you even get started on writing a song?
7: Um, well, a lot of times it's just like ideas, like us talking. I'll tell you, I wrote a song with Luke Combs that he he's just he just cut the other day. I got to write with him today, too. So, so we're done
2: here. Yeah. And sorry about, sorry about your bad luck. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No,
7: no, he's, no, no he's, a, and he's a great guy. He's, he's, he's an amazing guy. But, but I remember I was – this is a true story, and I haven't had a chance. So, this is going to be cool for him. A buddy of ours, we all know Flint Rasmussen, right? Yeah. Flint, Flint and I were talking one day on the phone about some stuff he was going through. And I love him. Such an awesome man. Such a great guy. I'm a huge fan of his. I mean, what a, what a fighter, what a, what an entertainer, what a great guy. Yeah. I don't want him. I'm sure you don't want me, you know, uh, you know, exposing his, you know, story, but you know what I mean? He starts telling me about it. Something didn't work out with the relationship or whatever. I, of course I'm laughing. I'm like, yeah, you and you and me and everybody else, you know, that happens to everybody. But when I got off the phone, I started thinking about, man, I, I, I broke a few hearts before and I've had mine broke and kicked around too. And I just remember going, man, that was pretty cold. You know, that girl to do that. You know, I'm thinking about things that I'm looking back to stay with me. I'll get to it. I'm trying to answer your question. I'm trying to show you how my head works, writing. So I'm sitting there having this conversation with myself, like a total schizophrenic, not out loud. I'm not crazy, but in my mind, I'm sitting there going, okay, I see where he's coming from. And I've had a girl like that just break my heart and just cold hearted out of nowhere. And I've had beer that cold too, and so the the thought came to me, uh, a beer almost as cold as you. And then I I took uh, I took that song into Luke and that idea into Luke and John Singleton, I, and he just cut. It. It's called It's called Cold as You, a beer almost as cold as you. So Flint Rasmussen, talking to him, I came up with that idea on my own, you know, just once
2: once I hung up. So you say once you hung up, so does that mean that he doesn't get any credit for like co-writing that with you or anything? He
7: gets absolutely nothing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he gets the cold beer.
7: Yeah. He gets the cold beer, right? No, I love, no, it was, when we hung up. I was just thinking, I was going, man, there's a song in there somewhere. You know, and I've had that girl. And I'm not going to be, I've broke cards too. I've been, I've been the jackass. I, I get it. We all grow up. It all makes us who we are. But I've been with some cold chicks. And I look back and I'm like, oh, I freaking love them for that. Because if it wasn't for the cold girls, I wouldn't have this song. Right? <laughs> yeah. It taught me something. So that's where I yeah, started thinking. So, yeah. I think it's on you. I think he just posted
2: something about it. Luke did. I don't know where it's at. But
7: you can look at it. It's called, it's called Cold as You. Luke Combs.
2: When you have that idea and you're talking to yourself about this could be a song, do you hold on to that idea for a while? Or is it just instantly, you talk about electricity, is it hits you like electricity and you're writing a song and 30 minutes later you've got this future number one song or is it a much longer drawn out process? It can go either way, either way. Sometimes you'll get an idea and you'll sit on it
7: forever and you're like, how do I write that? How do I, how do, okay, one of the songs I had was uh, International Harvester. You know, I went, oh my, International Harvester, that one, Craig Morgan. Yeah. Okay, that song. I was writing with my buddy Jeffrey Steele, Hall of Fame writer, great guy, California guy, Northern California guy. Him and I are in a room writing, we're writing a different song, and I'll just show you how it goes. We're writing a song, something. It was, I just remember the title being something about a, a scarecrow. Don't even remember the song was irrelevant. We were writing it. I threw out a line going something like chewing on straw and overalls and freaking, you know, you know, and tipping my hat and whatever and the, I know, something. I forgot what my rhyme was, but I dropped the word international harvester just because of the way the syllables fell. And he he looked at me, he goes, man, we got to write that. And I go, what? Right in the middle of writing another song. He goes, International Harvester. And I'm like, huh, love the title. Uh, Of course, now your mind's got to go in a different gear. So you see the avenues, how we're writing one song, somebody says something, and all of a sudden we're in this gear going, that's a better title. Now we got to shift gears and go this way. Now what do we say about International Harvester to make that people resonate? And I go, Jeff. There's this guy that I live with, true story. His name's Herschel. He passed away. I go, but he every every morning, I can hear him. They took his license away. He's an older man. He gets on his old John Deere tractor. He drives down to fricking uh, Arrington gas station down there at the Mart, and he sets and talks to the old guys. But he drives his tractor, and they can't mess with him on a country road. And I know when he's doing it because I can hear cars honking. Jeff started playing that lick, and I jumped in and grabbed my guitar. And he went, three miles of cars laying on their horns. And I went, yeah. And I go, like, falling on deaf ears of corn. And I said it. And he just started laughing. We just rolled and wrote the song,
2: International. Oh, my god! That's how, that's
7: how that story came about. That's how that song.
2: So it's just shifting gear.
7: And that other song, we, ne- we were writing, we never even finished.
2: Yeah, it's got to compensate one way for that creative mindset of you go here and you make a big hit and the other one's like well maybe it was that's something we'll revisit that's crazy man
7: that happened twice with jeff and i we've had hits together but the other one was the same way we were writing a different song and jeff we wrote a song i'll never forget it's called uh go to bed early and stay up late it's called stay up late you get the hook on that right yeah so we're right we're writing we're writing the song and we we go to lunch we start early and jeff goes Hey, Shano, we keep writing songs like that. We can get brand new girlfriends goofing around. And I let's write that I got a brand new girlfriend. So we went to lunch. We came back, wrote brand new girlfriend, the, the early song. We never even demoed it, but we went after we wrote brand new girlfriend, we went and demoed it. And then, you know, a month later it was cut.
1: You know, you were a police officer for a little while. Is there anything that kind of you pull from as being a policeman and things you said that kind of, or that you've seen that, that go into your artistry?
7: It's hard because where I work, and thanks for asking about that. It's it's something that you know I don't tell a lot of people, but I love policemen. I know we're living in a world today where they're hated, which is so sad, and, and they're really messed up. But I I became a cop. I was I was work. I was living in LA, and it was just to pay the bills. I was doing music. I had a little publishing deal didn't pay me anything, and and I took a I went you know filled out a permit uh, application for the fire department. They put on a hiring freeze. Next thing I know. LAPD calls me and recruiter, and I made no bones about it. I said, you know, I really don't want to be a cop. I love you guys. Appreciate you. But we want you. We don't want somebody that just, you know, we want you because you don't want to be one. And you learn, you know, you're not going to make decisions, bad decisions. You know, you're going to, you know what I'm saying? I guess I, I understood his psyche. I, so he started telling me, I go, look, I'm, I'm a songwriter, singer, songwriter. And that sounds crazy. I still rodeo on the weekends. And of course, he wanted to hear all about that. And ended up getting hired at the LAPD and went straight to Compton. Uh, worked a graveyard shift. Richard worked a graveyard shift in the Compton and Watts for about eight or nine years. And yeah, I saw it all. I saw death every night. Yeah. You know, it's hard to pull from that in, in a song, country music, because I saw a lot of bad. I saw a lot of good. You know, but I didn't see what it, what the world. I don't. I don't want to hate to go on because I, music is the one that brings everybody together. I think, um, like what's, what's the guy's name from Foo Fighters, David Kroll. What's his name? Crow. I can't remember him. Yeah, exactly. David Kroll, right? Yeah. That guy said something amazing. He he said, you know what? Somebody asked me about politics one time. He goes, man, you can be left, right, or in the middle, but we come to these different hours and all speak the same language. We just rock out and we enjoy songs. And that's the way I kind of look at it, you know. I mean, I'm a conservative guy, with God fearing. I, I respect people's opinions, but us right now, that's the exception. Guys, more than the rule. I can promise you, because I worked in one of the most high profile racial times in our country, and I never one time saw an officer go, "Let's do that because of the color of that man's skin." Never, I never did. I never did. So, you know, it, it's tough. And there's a lot of good people in the ghettos down there in the projects and the section eight housing that need help. They can't get out. And we were there for them. We were totally there for them. And some good people. So it was good to work in those areas, you know, and, and um, taught me a lot, but it's sure hard to put in a country song with what you saw. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. You you know it's crazy too. You talk about that Compton is there is uh, a handful of guys from Compton and Signal Hill uh, that go up there. They kind of run with that flying you rodeo crowd, but bull riders and tie down ropers. And they did a documentary called Fire on the Hill, um, and it kind of highlighted that. And it's it's crazy because you would I mean, and I don't know. Did you ever see like the guys on the horseback down there? Because that it seems like that's like something that actually happens that nobody would ever imagine that those two worlds would ever collide.
7: No, I never did, but that's amazing. I want to hear more about it. Explain it to me.
2: So there was a, I, I guess there's a, a stable, like a stable in the middle there of uh, somewhere in Compton. Um, and it's on, I think that the the documentary is on um, it's on Netflix, but it's called fire on the hill. And it's, you know, it's, you talk about, just because of where you're born at doesn't mean you can change your life. And that there's these guys that, uh, like I said, they're bull riders and, and um you know, they kind of live that cowboy life and the rodeo lifestyle, but they're from the heart of Compton. And it's just, it's like, how did you even get in here? Like, it's just, and this stuff, like you said, the stuff to where, you know, they're just out hanging out and a tragic thing happens and lives change instantaneously.
7: Wow. That's amazing. I've never heard of that, but that is, that's incredible. I'd love to see that. That is so awesome. Yeah, I mean, we tried, you know, we tried to help them. Um, matter of fact, alive the most besides good partners out there. Seen you know, homicides a week, drive-by, 12 Crips and Bloods, and the guys really kept me alive sometimes we're, were the Crips and the Bloods. So hmm. it's just on how you treated people. If you treated them with respect, they treat you. You're both in a tough situation working in a tough area. and it's not what it's not what the news portrays not what the movies portray it's not that it's it's uh real life and and but you know you know people commit crimes and then and vicious ones and they need these guys these policemen are good people and, and i'm sure they're bad ones and the ones that are they don't need to be get them out be done with them yeah but i never saw it guys i never did
1: Man, Shane, from patrolling Compton as a police officer to writing country music, you are not short on experiences. Let's stop here for a quick breather, though. And when we return, we will talk about music influences from the 70s and the 80s, NFR and Monty Hawkeye Hansen.
4: Looking for tickets to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo? StubHub is the official secondary and fan-to-fan site of the rodeo. Fans can buy and sell their tickets through a safe and secure online marketplace. Visit NFRExperience.com.
5: Hi, I'm 23-time world champion cowboy Trevor Brazil, and you're listening to NFR Extra.
1: We're hanging with American country music artist Shane Miner. Shane Miner's record was released in 1999, Slave to the Habit. His first single went top 10 on the Country Billboard charts. So, I mean, you touched on some of your influences, but did your influences stop as a young person like how today I mean since you're sending the stuff, who and how where do your influences come from right now for for your music? I mean, where and where do you draw from now from, as you talk about like merle haggard and stuff like that how does it exist today
7: well you know that's that's a tough question because my influence music influences growing up were you know guys like haggard and willie and whale and writers like Bob mcdill and you know um, cochran and dean Dillon and all those guys you know you listen to the straight and um You know, even some, I I either like real country music or I like real, like, 80s rock. Like, I like rock. And so, I mean, I've gotten, you know, I'm right with Brett Michaels every once in a while from Poison, who's a big country music fan. And so, I know it's totally polar opposites, but it's fun because to watch, you know, how the lyrics kind of cross over and to watch the way people think. He thinks more like, I think Brett and those guys think more like Cowboys than they do rock and roll guys. So, um, I pull from all those artists, you know, and all those writers and things that's happened in my life. Nothing's better than life experience loss, loss of loved ones, loss of relationships, uh, God, family, country, uh, going out in the town, just getting just blitz hammered and doing something stupid, waking
2: up in a parking lot, like, where am I? You know
7: what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> I'm just telling you the real stuff that <laughs> nobody wants to talk about, right? Yeah.
2: No, I don't know what you are saying. <laughs>
7: like i better crawl out of this window i don't know who this girl is and i don't know but i'm going
2: little did you know you were on the third floor when you crawled out of it
7: (laughs) (laughs) the third floor right so you know funny stuff man just seeing just just life life is your what you pull from life and watching these other buddies of mine make stupid mistakes you know i i and i picked and i picked the guys of old, you know i picked brains of the guys uh who are like icons and and hall of fame songwriters i got access to them i go man tell me stories i love stories oh man you know back in the 70s man we were writing you know we're flying you I mean you can still smoke on airplanes i'm like wow said, yeah he goes, so i go back and smoke a joint in the and I went, really, it's an old, old He's an old rider. He's an old freaking rider. He's he's an icon. He goes, I gotta smoke a joint. Well, the flight attendant comes out to me He goes, I know what you're doing in that bathroom. There's gonna be police waiting when we land. He's like, oh, crap. He goes, I got pot on me. And I'm listening to this guy laughing at him. He wrote some big hits, Hall of Fame. He's an old hippie. And he just goes, man. I go, what'd you do? He goes, well, I I just started eating it all. I didn't want the evidence. Uh-huh. He goes, and I was there. He goes, I was going to do a panel board for record labels. Uh, There's every label, Universal, uh, MCA, Sony, all these heads of labels were doing this panel board of the two radio guys, two label guys, two artists, and two songwriters, and asking them questions. And I had to go do this panel board. And I wasn't thinking, so I just started eating the pot. And once I got off the plane, I realized they, just, they were trying to scare me, and there was no cops. So by the time I got to the panel board, I was on Jupiter and slobbering out of the mouth. So he goes, and there I am leaning my forehead against a the microphone. They're trying to ask me questions. And I'm just going, yeah. And they, you, you knew that they, they thought I was just out of my mind. So we're just howling the whole time that he couldn't come off the panel board. He goes, man, I've written songs from that trip, you know, that ended up being hits from that whole traveling trip. So I, I'm just, you know, you like that. You, you pick these guys' brains and you learn. People make mistakes and there's fun. There's funny times in life. You go back and you look and things shape people, you know, and, and just living. <laughs> That's what you draw from
2: living. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. you got to go to the spirit world.
7: Right. Did you see the size of that chicken? Right. Yeah. That's it. Right.
0: Yeah. Right right, right. right.
7: Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, you know, and the good things, you know, and seeing kids that, uh, um, get married, young kids get married. Don't get invited to weddings and sitting there and watching it all go down and watching their reaction and watching, you know, 21-year-old, I just got married, got out of college, got married, and they got the whole life in front of them. And, you know, you're at the reception, and you hear somebody say something, and that you know, you know you're thinking about it. I remember that, and the song comes out of it. It could be anything, you guys. You could write songs. All of you could write songs. It's words. It's just words that people resonate with. What's going to What's gonna move me? Or was that? Uh, who's the famous writer, Hemingway? They said to they him, said, they go. That, that bet, like I bet you can't lose somebody in six words. I can make, he, he told, he bet this guy's true story. I heard, he bet this guy, he goes, I can make that girl just cry with six words. And he goes, go for it. And they laid their money down. They only well, sat there for a minute, Look, at her, and he goes, baby shoes for sale, never worn. And the girl Ooh. sat there and thought for a minute. She sat there and thought for a minute, boom, started balling. So, I mean, these guys, they just, those six words, Moved somebody. They, he knew by looking at that girl, he, he sized her up, sessed it out. He's like, she probably looks like a mother. She probably looks like she's had a loss in her life. You read people. You learn people. You be observant, and you watch around you. And I'm sure it's Hemingway on unbelievable, unbelievable, probably new life and new people. One look at her knew, if I said this, it's going to move that girl. And he did. He won the bet. Heard that's a true story. So, yeah. Then you got guys that writer buddies of mine in the Hall of Fame. That I go, how did you write that song? I don't remember. I was in a houseboat in the early 80s uh, with nothing but ice cream and cocaine. I don't remember how I wrote the song. I just remember we got back and it was
2: on a tape recorder. True story. Big hits.
7: So everybody,
2: everybody's different. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's insane, man. How <laughs> – yeah. I mean – Literally insane. So you just did two pretty large references from the 70s and from the 80s and some substances involved in helping, you know, get your mind right. right. What has changed since you started writing songs? Like, is there a big notable change from when you started to where you're at now on how songs are written or tools used, or is it just kind of just basics? It's still
7: on guitar, but a lot of it, the change is – track guys, more hip-hop coming from the cities. They probably weren't necessarily country raised on country music. I see a lot of that. Generational. The generation yeah. gap where they're kind of... A lot of them are really talented. I love I'll sit there and I'll go, you know, it's kind of like George Strait. You're at that groove like, oh, my exes live. To... No, I don't know that song. Like, you don't know that song? You know, what George Strait song do you know? I don't know. So oh it's like... You get, there's a gener- Yeah, oh, exactly. Mm. So So that's why sometimes we get... I like real country music, and I know every there's going to be an argument on both sides. And I have argu and I I love, I have artists and writer friends on every side. And I'm not bashing anybody. I tend to be more country. I tend to like country music with a message. And I've had to write the songs that that were good songs that work for today. And I like some of the music today. I just don't. I do miss, I do miss the process of meat on the bone lyric and just good old country songs. I miss the Hank Juniors. I miss the Waylands. I miss, and then we have some of that. We have some good country guys that are fixing to come out, you know. And I, I think yeah. with the process, of, the process of doing that is is really the same. We sit down with a guitar, sit down with uh, pen and paper, we write out the lyrics and. Well, the lyrics on guitars, and we, now instead we of recording them on handheld recorders, we're recording them on Apple computers or whatever, and they're running through a system, which is fine. That's good too. It's just progress. It makes it quicker. But there's a lot of great guys out there. You got you, you know, Luke. I live next to Luke Bryan. Luke Bryan's my neighbor. And Luke is one of my friends. And Luke is the biggest country music fan there is. When he's not out on the road on stage, people go, Yeah, but he does that 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 she does that, you know, that hip hop, you know, hip hop, frickin' broke. I, you know, I get it. He's he saying he's singing to his college fans. But let me tell you about Luke Bryan. Luke Bryan is Conway twitty, Merle Haggard. That's who that guy listens to on his bus. That's who he cranks, and he just knows he's real smart for his audience today. Yeah, you know. So every it's a gener it's it's one generation's version of country music as opposed to another. That's all it is. I tend to be a fan of my generation's country music. I think it's country country music. That's just me though. A lot of guys disagree with me. So right.
1: you you pick roles and actors can play this certain role and people, oh, why did he pick that role. It's all about how you, you, the art of what you're doing. So, to Luke's point, I mean, sure, he could probably play a lot of that music, but he knows. I mean, he's got a. There's a way that you got to do stuff as an artist as well. To being honest with you, you got to pay bills, you got to make money, and you, make right. sure you
7: balance all that out. That's right. I, I've seen a lot of guys. I don't like his music. I'm, I know I'm singling him out, but I don't mean to. We're just using him as an example. He's a great guy, but you know what? You're dead on right. He's just performing country than luke Bryan. But that guy he's country all right i'm so I'm, I'm bitch i tease him all the time when i hear him and talk or we go out in turkey and he's extremely country I always telling him he's got a cut out of his butt that's how country he is and he just of course starts laughing but um but his country music is is his version but he likes all country he likes old country music that's what he loves and he's just paying the bills and all those guys are they're all good guys you know i just tend to go when i'm sitting back in my chair i tend, tend to go listen to the to the hags and the straight and you know i think there's room for all of it there's room for all of it i think as much as we've had a, a shift in country music great i think should i think it should there should be different dynamics in country music and i think there's room for the old stuff to come back through luke combs is doing it he's proven it he's a 90s country guy he's bringing country back a little bit and there's, you know, breaking all the rules and it's opening avenues for them to sign country guys like him. And I think there's room for all of it. Process same. generations, you know.
1: Have you always, do you always know about NFR? Like, how long have you always known about the NFR?
7: Oh, since I was a kid, I used to watch, I used to watch the Heston finals with my dad. Uh, yeah, I used to have, yeah, all that stuff when it was a Heston. Remember all that?
4: Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah. In the
2: 70s. And- Rylan, yeah, you weren't great. even born yet. Yeah,
4: I wasn't. Um, my parents were probably just being born, actually. So, um, what are you I saying, Are You saying I'm old? I mean, I'm not gonna say you, that you're old. Go ahead. you saying?
7: I'm, I'm just gonna, gonna say, say that so I'm yeah. young.
4: I wasn't even like oh, a twinkle. Oh, the,
2: I wasn't at even.
4: Wasn't even a twinkle in the eye at that point. Like, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love it.
7: I was born in 68 68 when I was born. So in the 70s, I can remember watching the NFR, and it was sponsored by Heston. And I want to say I can't remember when they moved to Vegas. I don't remember. I remember it being in Oklahoma. 84? Yep. Okay, well, then when I was watching it then, it was in Oklahoma City, right? Is that right? Am I close? Correct. It's got to be Oklahoma, right? Yep. Yep. So that's when I was watching. That's how far I go back watching the NFR. I'm loving those That's guys, awesome. man. Watching that, watching those guys. Man, guys, man look at. about to Remember Monty Hawkeye Henson and those guys? When I was a kid. I loved watching that guy, man. He had such attitude. I loved that. The, yeah, you
2: know? there's never the, there's, that. there's not another Monty Hawkeye Henson, that dude. Well, I guess maybe Wade Sundell would be like the new version of Monty Hawkeye Henson. Yeah, I love that old. Have you ever seen that old video uh, where. Hawkeye Henson gets bucked over the chute and gets and gets uh lawn darted in the into a but another bucking chute with the horse in there. They crack the gate and let that horse out and Hawkeye just jumps up and he's like, Yeah, I'm alive. That's classic. <laughs> if you haven't seen that, you've gotta watch that. Oh Love
7: attitude, man. That guy was had he had a winning attitude. He was just I'm like, I wanna be like that guy when I grow up.
2: Maybe a few different life decisions, but you know, I mean, whatever.
7: Sure, sure. Right, I get it
2: yeah His you, attitude. So, oh man he's he's yeah he's not a world champion for nothing that's for sure but yeah you
7: yep that's exactly right and you know what everything i learned from bull riding the winning it i carry with me in songwriting it, it really because mm-hmm. the music business is tough it's cutthroat it's ruthless it's tough it's really tough and it, it really prepared me for it it really did it made me t- it toughened me up and so you know I'm still strapping on the spurs in a middle kind of way and, and going through the ride every day.
4: Talking on rodeo and the music industry, something that kind of relates them together is the long roads that these individuals go on. Do you have a favorite road story, whether it was the rodeo road or the music industry?
7: Being an artist, just, it's just this typical stuff, wine, women, and song. When I was an artist, I toured with Shania Twain. I was her opening act. We used to have a, a blast together. Her and I would go ride horses together, you know, before the show. And um, she was a horse chick. She found out I came from rodeo. And she, ahead of time, she would, wherever she's going to ride, she'd have me out there. we just go ride and talk about life. What an awesome, awesome, awesome girl. And, um, but Char- and speaking of Charlie Daniels, you know, I had a kid when I was 16. I, was, I had, a, had a son. I, I got my high school girlfriend pregnant. I had a son when I was 16. He's he's out in Tennessee with me. He's a biologist. He's married and got a little girl. I got a little granddaughter. I'm a young grandfather, which is awesome. And uh, his mom was from Oakdale. Good family. And a barrel racer, um, <laughs> uh i had to throw that in there. But anyways, he was with me in Tennessee, and I was out on the road. Here's a good Charlie Daniels story. And Charlie heard about it. He said, "Man, you're on the road tour." He goes, well, your son. I said, "Well, he's, you know, he's 14. He stays there at the house, the farm, and, you know, and and the lady there that lives on the property, her and her husband, they they he's only home, you know, he's home alone from like Thursday night to Saturday, I come back Thursday night. He's on the farm. He's 14. I mean, he's self-sufficient. Tough kid. He's a good kid. So while I was on the road, Charlie Daniels called me and said, 'Hey, it's probably like to golf,' and he goes. I'm going to go get your, I'm, you know, your son's with me. I said, he's what? Yeah. He said, I want to get your kid. So I'm like, okay. So I get home and my kid's gone and him and Charlie, Charlie just went and picked him up at our place Daniels, in a flatbed farm truck from his farm goes and picks my kid up and him and my kid go gallivanting for three days, hitting different golf courses because they both like to goof around and golf. He, Charlie, that was, and I said, I got home and he brought him home. And I go, Charlie, I mean, you didn't have to do that. And he goes, no, I wanted to, man. My kid's grown up. He's sitting here. I want to do that. And I'm like, well, let me pay. No, you ain't paying me for nothing. Don't insult me. That's the kind of guy Charlie Daniels is and was. What
1: would you say to the 20-year-old Shane Miner if you could today? Like knowing everything that you've gotten to see, everything you've gotten to experience, what, what advice would you give to that Shane Miner now if you could?
7: Don't don't do anything different than what you did. Don't be afraid to fail. Well, there's times where I didn't walk through a certain door because I was maybe afraid to, afraid of rejection or afraid of, afraid of failure. Go fail. Go get rejected. Live. Don't miss any opportunities out of fear. Fear is a crippling thing. And pray to God that you make more mistakes. Don't be afraid to be you. Don't make one of you. Don't try to be somebody else. When I when I moved to nashville i was you know they, they had me as an artist being somebody else other than what i was and i didn't have the experience or the clout to stand up for that and that's what i would go back and say you, you may fail but fail being you and don't let don't let somebody tell you who you are or what decisions to make and what's the right decision because i don't think anybody knows only make one of you and you know what's best for you fall reaching for the finish line. You may not hit the finish line sometimes, but at least you're reaching for it. You might be falling at it, but, and run, run your race, run hard. Who cares if a door slams, one slams, another one that opens, who cares? Don't sweat the small stuff. Keep doing what you do and be you. And I would say that to any 20-year-old, doing whatever they're doing. When you're 20, it's kind of hard. You know, you're looking at the world, you're going, oh, man. You know, people are going to think I'm stupid or I'm not good enough. You know, and sometimes, I don't know, maybe you are, maybe you're not, but you got it. I think it's like bull riding. It all, all goes back to rodeo. You know, it makes a great world champions, a lot of buck offs. And I think a lot of, you know, being, having the door slammed in your face and a lot of no's in the music business, you know, I think those make world champion musicians and world champion songwriters and world champion artists. A lot of rejection, a lot of no, a lot of getting your clock clean. And so those are things I was probably afraid right of the 20. I tiptoed around. I would say, go in, just jump in the fire and do it again. Do it. Go all in. Take the burns, take the shots, get knocked down. And that's the gear I was talking about with bull riding. I didn't have that gear of bull riding either, where those guys did. And I learned over the years to get it because I got myself – you know, beat up in the music business, chewed up and spit out for not sticking up for myself. So that's
2: what I would do. That's awesome, man.
1: Shane, this is, uh, this has been a lot of fun. I think um,
2: I'm not going to speak for Steve but We could probably do this for a couple hours talking to you.
4: We appreciate you taking the time to join us.
2: From the kid watching the Heston finals in Oklahoma city at TV in Oakdale, California to performing in Las Vegas, I'd say you've had quite the journey. You know what I have?
7: I'm thankful. And if
2: I could go back and do it all again, I'd do it all again. It was amazing.
7: All right, Shane. Well, thank you, man.
2: All right, you guys.
7: Hey, you bet you guys have a great one and call if you need anything, okay? Sounds good, buddy. Have a good one. All right, you too, guys. I enjoyed it.
1: We want to thank Cor and Shane Minor for joining us on NFR Extra today and sharing their stories. And stay tuned for episode 60 when PBR CEO Sean Gleason shares his experience of being the first professional sport association to hold live events since the coronavirus pandemic began on NFR Extra. Want to experience more of the NFR? Then visit nfrexperience.com And we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've been hearing on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. NFR Extra.
0: All dirt.
4: All rodeo.
1: All year.
5: Gotta make it out the where the big boys round with the rovers and the racers and the blues.